Hi, everyone. I'm Mel Butcher. And I'm Michelle Redfern. And we're behind the Lead to Soar podcast. We've got a couple really fun things to share with you. And the first thing we want to share is our colleague, Susan Colantuno. She started a podcast called Be Business Savvy. Be Business Savvy. We highly recommend it. And it's a short form podcast where you hear directly from Susan. It's like having a friendly mentor in your ear. So check her out at BeBusinessSavvy.com. Over to you, Michelle. Thanks, Mel. Well, two exciting things from me, along with Be Business Savvy. Number one, The Leadership Compass. My very first book is due for release on March 26, 2024. You can find out more about The Leadership Compass, what it's all about. Of course, it'll be your ultimate guide if you're an ambitious woman leader. You can find more about that at michelleredfern.com. And hand in hand with the Leadership Compass book is the Leadership Compass boot camps. I'm going to do one boot camp a quarter for 2024 for just six women at a time. And you'll be working through in three weeks. So, yes, it's short, sharp, and high impact. All of the elements from the Leadership Compass and my 40 years of executive experience. So, you'll cover BQ, EQ, and SQ, and you will be positioned to have a career that soars. Again, you can find out about the boot camps at michelleredfern.com, leadtosoar.com, or if you can't find any of that, just drop us a line and we'll point you in the right direction. You're listening to Michelle Redfern and Mel Butcher on Lead to Soar, bringing you the best leadership advice and mentorship from around the world. Learn more at leadtosoar.com. Hello, dear listener. Thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Mel Butcher, and I'm the producer of the Lead to Soar podcast. And I'm just going to give you a quick introduction for today's show, and then we'll get right to the interview. Michelle Redfern interviewed Laura Ryan. Laura Ryan holds a first-class honors in marketing and a master's in management. She also achieved chartered marketer status via the Chartered Institute of Marketing. A veteran of the meat and butchery business, Laura launched Laven Park, a UK-based consultancy that cultivates success for levy boards, government, and commercial companies through improved industry insight, connectivity, business development, marketing, and communications. Laura is the founder and global chair of Meet Business Women, that's M-E-A-T, which launched in 2015. Meet Business Women has now expanded to multiple countries and was recognized by the United Nations with Laura presenting on the contribution Meet Business Women makes to the Global Sustainable Development Goals. Welcome, Laura Ryan, to Lead to Soar. Welcome to the Lead to Soar podcast hosted by me, Michelle Redfern. And for those of you who are first-time listeners, you won't know that the Lead to Soar podcast is a part of A Career That Soars. And A Career That Soars is our career platform or career network for women who are really serious about leadership, career, and reaching their full potential. And today, it's 
really terrific to have someone with me, uh, a woman who has, well, she's done lots of things and I'm going to get her to, to talk about the things that she has done. Laura Ryan is, well, she's many, many things. I know Laura as the founder and head honcho of Meet Business Women. We met through, well, we met through a, a function that I was moderating and then have gone on uh, to do some other stuff together. But Laura is, she's a master's of management and she's a chartered marketer and she's, well, she's just a bit of a gun because she does a whole bunch of stuff and leads a global movement to help women in a traditionally male-dominated field, i.e. the meat industry, have a career that soars and also reach their full potential. So welcome to the Lead to Soar podcast, Laura. It's terrific to have you here all the way from London. And I'd love you to introduce yourself when someone says to you, hey, Laura, what do you do? What do you say? This is my first bit. Actually, sorry, Michelle, great to be with you. Uh, My uh, first bit of advice would be get your elevator pitch sorted. And this is when I always wobble and I think, oh, no, what is my elevator pitch? Because uh, as you've alluded to, I do uh, so many different things. Uh, but Meet Business Women, I guess, as you say, is, is a huge part of my work. And I, I'm global chair of uh, Meet Business Women and founder. But I also have my own consultancy business, Laven Park, and I do bespoke marketing strategy for predominantly meat businesses, but uh, sometimes a bit more broadly than that into the food industry as well. And I'm also a joint founder of the Global Meat Alliance. So I guess you could package all that up in a nice elevator pitch as a meat geek or a, a marketing meat geek, maybe. <laughs> I'm a meat geek. All right. I um I, I I don't think I would have been game enough to call you a meat geek in, in the opening, but um with your permission I might actually use that from now. Go for it. It's memorable. <laughs> I love it. I love it. But tell us more about well, I, I suppose you have similar to me what we call a portfolio career. You do a whole yeah. bunch of different things. However, it's very grounded in a couple of I guess your core purposes or your your core strengths. If I was to say, let's go back over your career from where it started to where you are now, can you map us through that, Laura, please? I think our listeners are going to find that fascinating. Of course. So um, as you've alluded to, I um, finished uni doing a, a master's in management. And when I left that, I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Uh, if anything, I probably wanted to work for Diageo because I've, I've always had a bit of a thing for gin. So I thought, well, maybe that's my thing. Uh, and then I saw a government-sponsored graduate position at um, a meat and a poultry wholesaler just down the road from me. Uh, and I've always, always been a bit of a homebody. And I thought, marketing me, I'll give that a go. And as a child, I didn't even go in the butcher shop I, as a kid. I, I didn't like the smell, so my mum would leave me standing outside. And my family have gotten zero agricultural background whatsoever. We're a bunch of townies, really. So it was a little bit unlikely uh, to get a job at, at meat and poultry wholesaler. But I started there and absolutely loved it. Uh, I loved the pace, the challenge. No two days were the same. I liked the fact that if somebody had a problem with you, they would tell you to your face <laughs> and uh, and you would just have to deal with it. And uh, yeah, so sort of confrontation, just things that I'd never expected and coupled with that as well, probably because it was, a, as I alluded to, it was a, a government-backed initiative um, to get grads into to smaller businesses. There was quite a budget involved for personal development. So I was really lucky to go on different coaching courses 
and also do a little bit of international travel with that. And I was nominated as a business leader of tomorrow um, through a government prize and then traveled out to Vancouver and met other international graduates. So it was amazing the, the opportunity that I had. And when I was w- watching my peer group that left uni at the same time and they were sort of more office based and I was out and about, I thought, God, this is amazing. So uh, I worked there for a couple of years and then uh, I was really good at filling in forms, which is probably uh, not the, the biggest piece of advice that you give to your peer group, but it d- doesn't hurt. And one of the forms that I filled in when I was doing said job was for the levy board that collects a tax really from farmers and processors to get a a grant from them. And um, because I'd filled the form in well, we got the grant. And uh, eventually they said to me... Not just any form there. Yeah, the pretty important (laughs) form. (laughs) Hello, my name's Laura and I'm a form filler. (laughs) (laughs) A a, a form that comes back with a cheque attached, which uh, always goes down well. And these folks at uh, the levy board said, you're, you're good. We like you. You're, um, you're not, not only good at filling in forms, but you're good at the, to setting up regional brands. And this is what I was doing with the, the company that I was working at and setting up a strategy for the business and doing lots of different things that the traditional meat industry wouldn't normally do. And I guess putting into practice some of the stuff that I'd learned at uni. So I then took the step to work for the levy board and I ended up being there uh, almost 10 years and the last three years of that, were, I was director of the Beef and Lamb Board, which was fabulous because I was basically director of a, a board of farmers that always would say to me, oh, you must be a farmer's daughter. What is it your family are farming? And I'd be like, oh, sorry to disappoint you. I don't really know that much about agriculture or I do know a bit more now, but <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a marketing person. So I, I absolutely loved it. But as you've alluded to, I took the brave step two years ago to go portfolio, which I don't know, half of me thinks, gosh, was that scary? At the time, it probably wasn't. It just felt right and it was the right thing to do and I had some consultancy lined up. But uh, looking back, it probably was quite brave because you go from, I suppose, 15 years of a guaranteed salary at the end of the month and then into something where you're making your own look. And now, um, as as we've said, my portfolio includes Meet Business Women, Global Meat Alliance, Laven Park, my own consultancy. And then I also got my first non-exec director position over the summer. So it's uh, it keeps your brain ticking over because there's always uh, still no two days are the same. And I suppose the golden thread through all of that, when you ask me, what is it that's powered me on? It's been, I love talking to people. I'm nosy. I love talking to people <laughs> and asking them what makes their business tick? You know, what's working well, what's not working? well and I also unfortunately not at the moment but in normal times getting out into factories and and chatting to people and understanding what they're up to and and I think maybe sometimes that level of intrigue is missing in the meat industry and maybe that's what's on occasion set me apart and it's it's allowed me to uh, continue to grow and uh, yeah absolutely love it. Oh so much to ask you about all of that the um (laughs) so interestingly you know, putting aside the form, very good form filler out or things that I, I took out of what you just said is, well, you, you looked around and you kind of fell into something. Um, you thought, oh, that looks interesting. I'll, I'll kind of go there. And so many of us have started our careers and then had quite successful careers in a field that, well, as you, you said, you're, you're not a farmer's daughter, you're not a butcher's daughter. And people assume that, you, that you've come from a particular background to be an expert in that industry when that that is not the case you've actually made yourself expert in the industry 
for a couple of reasons, A, because you, you've enjoyed it and you're, you're curious and, and you really want to explore. I love the fact that you said you nosy because I always say to people, I am a sticky beak and it is a really, <laughs> it's a sought after trait these days being curious because curious people help to ask the right questions and challenge that status quo. I want to come back to though, there's a, a couple of phrases you used. One was around personal development and you were fortunate enough in that that first gig to have opportunity for lots of personal development how important was that to you and why did you take it seriously given that you were still a very young person at the time so why did you take the opportunity of personal development so seriously Laura it's a great question and probably at the time obviously I did take it seriously and I enjoyed it but I didn't realize what I was probably learning at the time and I guess some of the stuff I, I learned then, I, I still can I think about almost on a weekly basis and some, some of it I repeat. So I, I guess in the early days, some of that was about personality testing, knowing yourself and that self-awareness, be it, yeah. you know, the traditional Myers-Briggs or mm-hmm. what, whatever other uh, testing you want to do to understand what sort of operator you are and to know what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are. And sometimes, I, I don't know, I, I still find out some something about myself all the time and I think oh that's new unless you have that level of self-awareness you can't surround yourself with the right people to help you move forward you know I think great leaders are really authentic and and you're amazingly authentic and open and honest and the conversations we have I, I thoroughly enjoy and I think to be authentic you need to be continuing to have that self-awareness of what sort of person you are and and you evolve over time don't you with different experiences both professional and personal so yeah yeah. so I guess one of those things I thought although this is nice it comes with a package but now I pay for group coaching and I I continue to invest in my self-development and it's interesting when we chat to even senior leaders in the meat industry which is such a traditional industry they are now being male in particular being more open and honest about you need to invest in your personal development it's not just about hard skills anymore yeah such a a good segue into the missing 33 percent which we talk to our listeners and and our members of a career that soars about so the missing 33 percent is business strategic and financial acumen and I want to talk about yours in a moment and how you gained that but it's fascinating that if we and for us leadership is using the greatness in you to achieve and sustain extraordinary outcomes by engaging the greatness in others so you've talked very very clearly in our first you know 10 minutes about all three elements so you've talked about your personal greatness and particularly investing in yourself to know yourself particularly well about, you know, what your strengths, your values, your, your worldview, all of that kind of stuff is. You've also talked about the fact that you talk to people and you're curious about people and you have to, in, well, you, you like engaging with people, particularly now in your current portfolio career to create solutions and, you know, engaging and aligning them towards the outcomes that are important. But you've also talked about strategy and, you know, that your, your strategic approach to what you do now, but also over your career has, has come through. You've, you've led a couple of very big pieces of, of strategy work. And of course, Meet Business Women has had a very strategic or is grounded in a very strategic imperative. 
you know, closing the gender gap in the meat industry. So with all of that and knowing that as a successful executive woman that you really have to have that all three parts of the leadership definition, but particularly that business strategic and financial acumen, if you reflect on those personal development experiences, you reflect on your career today, how did you become strategic? How did you, how did you become that leader who can get or, well, achieve and sustain extraordinary outcomes, whether it's for your own business or now for other organisations? How did you get the experience or get the advice? How did that happen? Another great question. So I guess Part of it I would put down to my degree and my master's. And then, as you've said at the top of the show, I'm a chartered marketeer through the Chartered Institute of Marketing. So it's about qualifications and having that structure and rigor and understanding what the frameworks are academically so then you can overlay them in a practical situation. When I first went portfolio, I also did some lecturing back at the uni that I studied at and I did some strategic lecturing. And it was really interesting talking to some of the students that when I would talk about a strategy, about how simple it is, you know, where are you you now? Where do you want to be and how are you going to get there? It just blew their brains that they were like, is that it? And I'm like, yeah, that is it. (laughs) Don't, Don't let these folks tell you that it's more complicated than that. Mm. understand do the research understand where you are now what's the ambition what's the macro environmental impact what are your competitive set are doing get the research get the data and then map out a roadmap and basically I told them that on day one and they were like but we've got a three-year course <laughs> and I was like I know you have but you've got it there you've, you've you know in in an hour you, you've got the lot so and within that there's lots of tools and we know of course, there's yeah. different options to use but I, I think for me it's keeping it simple but I when I left uni and I had a, that sort of toolkit and that stuff that I knew in the structure and then I landed in said catering butcher meat and poultry wholesaler I'd be thinking well this isn't Porter's five forces this I was isn't wondering the, where the, Porter's the, five forces was going to come into it <laughs> yeah they are there this isn't the Boston consulting matrix where am I putting that And I think it's really easy that we get taught all of this stuff at uni and then to make it apply to a practical situation, there's a massive void. So I think hanging on to the simplicity of it and then being allowed to trial it and and use it in in situations. And maybe that's because I started at an SME, they gave me enough rope and budget to trial some of these things. Then I had the confidence. Uh, And then you learn, it's always the hardest, as we know, to do something for the first time. And once you've done strategic reviews and you can see what's worked well, what hasn't. And then I guess the other bit of work that I would reflect on is I've led the strategic review for the beef and lamb industry in England. And that was a huge piece of work, taking them on a on a three year journey. But the way that I managed to, I guess, have impact with that, again, was your words better than mine, not being nosy, being curious Mm -hmm. and taking people with you, listening to people, not always you know finding a middle ground that's vanilla but Mm. understanding what the challenges are what the opportunities are and mapping those out and and getting everything down and I guess being the honest broker as well being objective and in any business in any industry people come with emotion with baggage it's always been done this way and I think challenging from an objective point of view keeping it simple really helped I guess the, the other thing as well is 
surrounding yourself with experts where you're not an expert and, and finance would be one for me. Meet Business Women, for example, we've got a, a non-exec director who is an absolute corporate wizard and who's got an extremely strong finance background because it's not something that I particularly enjoy. And I mm-hmm. know that and I've got an accountant that helps me with the rest of my business and we speak every single month and I invest in that because I want to make sure we're across everything. But I I know I couldn't do that myself. So I think being open and asking for help where actually you're you're not sure, then that's advantageous. We see big businesses do that all the time with consultants and consultants coming in and, and you look at the work they've done and you think you've paid what for that? listening to Lead to Soar. Find information on upcoming events and learn how to join the network at leadtosoar.com. Actually, you just made me think of a couple of things, Laura. So I would say of all of the programs and the experiences that I run, for women around to help them close the missing 33% gap. So business, strategic, financial acumen. Financial acumen, more often than not, is the the area that women say, oh, God, you know, I'm just not good with numbers. Um, I've never really had a desire to be good at them. I don't enjoy the numbers. And I say, look, I, and I tell my story a little bit like you, I found myself having a, a career change at the age of 40 and thinking I was pretty, you know, hot stuff and then realised that I had a real gap around the financials and I'd got a job where they thought I was much better than I was. So I had to do a real crash course and then surround myself with the right people to keep advising me. You would know now, particularly as a director or non-executive director, how critical it is not to go line by line through the the P&L and the balance sheet and ask for the you know, deep dive cash flow analysis, but you want to see the story that the numbers tell so that you can look strategically at the organisation and, and look at it from, you know, the balcony rather than the dance floor, as, as we say, and say, hmm, what could be going on here? So I think that's a, you know, I, I say to women, if you realise that financials are, or that the dollars or the numbers are not your strength area, please don't rush off to do an accounting undergrad or you know, an accounting degree. It's actually about the story that the numbers tell so that you can make really good strategic as well as tactical decisions to help the business achieve you know, the desired outcomes. Does that resonate with you? Yeah, it does. And it's, it's a great way of putting it. So, and it's taken me a long time to realise that whatever set of accounts you know, numbers you're looking at, some there's a, a subject matter expert that's put those together. And it's not for us to try and, as you say, understand line by line what that means unless they're your numbers to own. Uh, and my non-exec director position, I'll have a call with the finance director of the organisation on a monthly basis. Once the accounts come out to say exactly that, tell me the narrative. Yeah. And I'll have gone through them in, in advance and and highlighted anything that I'm not quite sure of and ask them the question that's for them to explain to me and I think a layer of confidence that I, mean, I don't know if I would have had a while ago to say actually I don't understand it and I'm not sure it'd be interesting for me to ask I'm not sure how many of the other Neds are, make, <laughs> are making that call and say you know tell me a bit more detail about that and and getting the folks to unwrap them a bit so yeah and, and I think 
we need to be more open and ask for help, which yeah. sometimes can feel hard to do because it can make it look like you don't know something. But actually, people love to help generally. And it's very rare I get a, oh, no, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's fascinating because it is around bringing or engaging the greatness in other people. Interestingly, had had another conversation similar this week around it's our job and the advice, it was actually from Libby Lyons who heads up the Workplace Gender Equality Agency here in Australia. And she said, you know, I want women, uh, all people, but particularly women, ask the questions, challenge the status quo, because that's actually what you're getting paid to do. And in the context of what you're talking about, Laura, and also, you know, Libby talked about this in, in another episode, was if you ask, you're in, you're actually being in service of every other person around that table because there will absolutely be someone there who doesn't necessarily have the courage or for whatever reason doesn't want to put themselves forward to say, I don't understand what, what the finance partner's telling us here. Can you please step us through it? And I think it's really important that we step into that vulnerability because it's actually it's so important for leadership. But you're going to be in service of both the business as well as your colleagues around the table, because not everyone gets it. Yeah. And how many times have you been in a room when someone says, oh, could you just explain this? And everyone else says, oh, I'm glad you've asked that because I didn't know either. Yeah. So (laughs) (laughs) you're doing everyone a favour. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's fascinating going back to your core strength around strategy and how simple strategy actually is, is, is terrific. So you develop that over the course of, well, obviously, as you said, you've got the tools, the systems, and then you, you found yourself in a, in your, in your first employer going, oh, where, okay, um, where's the BCG matrix? How do I make this happen? But at that point, was there someone within that business that had spotted your potential and how did they help you, I guess, help their business grow and also then start leading some of this really significant work, well, for the country, for, for the UK? So who, who spotted you and who helped you understand how to keep deepening your, your strengths around strategy and, and achieving outcomes? Yeah, it's, a, it's another great question. So the owner of the business, uh, that meat and poultry wholesaler, who still owns the business, I went to have a conversation with him before I applied for the job, just to understand a bit more about it. And we just had a, a, a cup of coffee and a chat. And I, it struck me then what a lovely guy he was. Challenging, you know, there was no easy ride, but, you know, he wanted, um, and he was, I guess, at the stage in his career, to dedicate time to a project. And I suppose maybe I was part of that project and the whole rejuvenation of the business was part of that project too. Stuart Monroe's name and he invested so much time in me uh, and I guess trusted me as well uh, to go off and do things and have conversations with people and invest and spend money on things that you know no, no one else in my peer group was was able to do um and subsequently and then that was 20 years ago I n- I'm now lucky enough to call him a friend we mm. uh, he just called me uh, yesterday actually I hadn't spoken to him for a couple of weeks and we we check in with each other every other month or so we see each other still a couple of times a year chat about what's happening in the meat industry and, you know, I'm so fortunate that he now says to me how proud he is of me. And he really gave me the education about the meat industry that I, I never knew. You know, there's a language around every single sector, isn't there? 
And I don't speak a lot of other sector language, but the meat industry sector is one that I do speak. And some days I think, God, I'm really fluent at this. And other days I think, God, I haven't got a clue and I've I've lost my fluency. (laughs) But I guess he gave me the translation and started helping me on that journey. And he would be someone I would still ring to say, there's this bit of terminology or there's this thing, what is it and where do I go? And then along, I guess, my career journey, I've collected maybe a group of about 10 to 12 people that are similar to Stuart that have very kindly invested in me. I invest time in them and they're my network. And I guess a personal board, really, Mm. that I will speak to at least once a month on, you know, what's happening in their work. Some of them are working for big corporates. Some of them are portfolio as well. Some of them are the UK, some of them are global. And I guess we're sharing each other's journeys together, which just makes you feel so powerful. And now I'm really lucky with my consultancy. If um, someone rings and says, you know, I want X, Y, and Z, if I don't know it, then I'll know someone that does, which again, just gives you that level of confidence, but you need to invest time in building that. And sometimes that can feel like a huge luxury. And I guess A lot of it I would put down to the fact that when I was working at the levy board, the office was three and a half hour drive away. So I would spend so much time in the car. I guess I needed to fill all of that dead time with phone calls. So that maybe a lot of that really helped. I don't know. I was cursing it at the time, but uh, sat sat in in traffic jams. But actually building that community around you now is just so, so important. And it could have been really lonely, you know, as, as we said just before we st- started recording, the UK is pretty much still in lockdown and doing business when you've been sat in your spare room for the best part of 10 months can be, you know, quite challenging on occasions, but having a community around you and that you can continue to work and work well is just is just phenomenal. And if I didn't have that and I was in this position now, I, 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 it would be a real, I guess, challenging for you both professionally and personally. Two things that really stand out, the importance of someone like Stuart teaching you the language of the business. Now, that language of the business will be, and particularly as you become more senior in your career, so incredibly important for your credibility. So for you going out to those stakeholders for that business and being able to, and then subsequently, of course, doing the the strategic review for the Beef and Lamb Board, being able to speak the language of the business, of the sector, and, you know, that language of the business is what are we here to do? What are we here to, to achieve together? He clearly, you know, that, that's what we would call a strategic mentor, someone who is he is clearly someone who, who got it, that this is a, an important part of development, is exposing you to those environments, exposing you to the decision makers, the decision making, but also helping you craft your well, hone your craft and, and you know, that craft of language is what an incredible experience, what an incredible mentor. And then subsequently, I think you've really demonstrated that the absolute criticality of having, well, you call it your personal board of directors, but those strategic networks and taking the time to invest in our strategic networks. We know that, that for so many women, there's a real a mental mindset shift that needs to occur to invest time in strategic networking. And that is networking with the right others. And the right others are the people who are going to help your career, your business, their business. There's obviously mutuality in it. What what was it that you're a naturally, you know, 
well, we've known each other for a little while now, but you you are, as you say, you love talking to people, you're curious, which are great traits to have to, to build good relationships, but that strategic networking, really investing the time in it, as you've said, and it just pays dividends. Was there a particular piece of guidance or an experience that you had in your career that you said, right, this is actually really important. I need to, to make sure I keep doing this, you know, investing time in my network and the people in it and expanding my, my strategic network. Yeah, so the, probably when I was promoted to director at the Beef and Lamb Board, a guy that I'd, I'd known from a, a the national farmers but a union board. So there's so many of these different boards that you, <laughs> you sit on with similar people with similar buffets. He uh, contacted me and he was doing some work for one of the big processes here. And he said he would like to take me to do a, a site visit uh, around one of these processes and, and take me on to this other site visit. And his, his reputation it was and still is very good. And he he's, has a bit of a portfolio career too. And really his foresight there that I just got the job, you know, and a lot of people didn't know me, but he invested a couple of days of his week in, into me. And I watched at close quarters how an expert does it. Watching him, and I still wind him up about this on a regular basis because he's one of my 12 now, really. But I said, you know, I watched how someone really leverages networking and you're in it for the long term. And he spotted that I was going to be someone that would be able to help him with his contacts, with his different business interests in time. But to do that, then he, he needed to, to invest in me. So, and I didn't, wasn't particularly conscious of it until. I saw it in operation and then, you know, him getting other key players and, and management from said business involved in some of those meetings. And I don't know, just silly things like, you know, making me feel good about congratulations on your appointment and Laura's going to be doing it. And you just think, God, you know, someone that actually has confidence in maybe I can do this. This is yeah. great. So I guess watching people do it well and taking uh, lessons from that was, was hugely important. And, and I suppose some of it that is, you know, quite personal as well, that people, you know, introduce you to their family and to their kids and it, it feels very natural and organic. And then I suppose the other memory that I have was that bit felt natural. But when I left the levy board and went portfolio, as I alluded to at the beginning of that journey, I was really doing quite a lot of lecturing. So I wasn't really directly working in industry. I was doing a bit of consultancy, but not a huge amount. So I'd gone from being in the car, I don't know, 12 hours a week, making all these calls to not being in the car that long, not being really in the industry, speaking to students, but knowing I needed to keep my network alive. So I found myself driving home from university on a night, ringing my network, talking to them about the deadweight price of cattle. Mm. When I was thinking, you know, this is actually totally irrelevant to me at the moment, but I, I know this is the language that these people want to talk. And I know I need to put the legwork in because if I lose this network, it's going to be so hard to get it back. So, yeah, that it felt hard then. And it's because I, I wasn't really I was out the industry a touch. So, yeah, I, my advice would be watch people do it well take notes of what they're doing and what works well and what makes you feel good. And then also, yeah, invest the time and, and it can feel like a luxury at times, but it's not, it will pay back. Well, you've just demonstrated your strategic focus again, because you know, that, that is you saying, where am I now? Where am I going to be? Where's the Delta and what do I need to do? <laughs> and, and, and investing in that, 
your strategic networking, which essentially is about generosity and reciprocity, but we have to invest time in it. And debunking the myth that, you know, networking is turning up to, to conferences or after work functions with, you know, mediocre wine and dreadful canapes, which are bad for your waistline is just, <laughs> and, and she who leaves with the most business cards is a great networker is just rubbish. It's, it's real, it's genuine care, but also having that strategic intent and being able to say, this is where I want to be able to have an impact in my industry, in my sector, wherever it may be. And these are the people that I need to maintain a relationship with for, for a whole bunch of reasons. I think it's a really great example. Let's talk about five years ago or over five years ago now, you launching the global movement called Meet Business Women. Now, what made you do that? And where's that going? And, and what, tell us, well, tell us about <laughs> Meet Business Women and what were you thinking? I know, was a mental, yes, is the answer. <laughs> so um, at that stage in my career, it's lived, I was becoming more senior and I was sitting in, a, in various meetings, these boards that I was alluding to, and I was the only female in the room. And I was probably the, the youngest in the room on occasions by at least 10 years. And I would come home on a weekend back up north and I would chat to my mates on a weekend and they would say, meat industry, going around abattoirs, going around farms, what are you doing? That for sounds horrific. So I guess I was, was seeing two things. One, a pipeline issue, literally in front of my eyes, where are the women? And also um, a reputational issue that my peer group would never have considered the meat industry as a as a positive choice and as we've alluded to I fell into it by total accident so and I'd probably as well noticed at that point I'd networked as hard as I could within my little bubble and I, I knew there was other senior women in the meat industry spotted around but I didn't really think no other way to get to them so I'd contacted a, a, a colleague of mine to ask if she knew of a female networking group for the meat industry because I would like to attend an event and she said, oh, I don't think one exists. So if one had existed at that point, Michelle, I would have just booked myself a little ticket, jumped on the train to London and enjoyed said canapes and hopefully a glass of fizz and come back home again. But instead, I booked a room in London. I um, booked an inspirational speaker. It was a then women's rugby captain for England. They just won the World Cup and emailed out a list of my contacts and my colleague contacts to say, We've got a room capacity of 50. Who wants to come? Bit of networking and learn about leading under pressure. And I could have sold that room twice over. People loved it. They came really to have a look, see what it was all about, see if we were burning our bras. Mm -hmm. And if I had a pound for everyone that told, said me that, told me that and still says it, I would be a, a rich lady. And it's just snowballed from there. We started, I guess, with that event and then bounced from event to event and all of this is on the side of my desk alongside a day job. We set up a committee in the UK, again, all voluntary. It's all senior women in the meat industry that are passionate about trying to invest and get more talent and retain talent. And then up until last year, we, we had a huge amount of growth, or last year rather was a huge amount of growth. So we expanded into Australia, as you know, because you chaired mm -hmm. the two events. We expanded into New Zealand, we expanded into Ireland. And uh, over the summer this year, we expanded into the US. And last year, I also got the call. I still have to pinch myself when uh, I say these words. Call from the United Nations. 
And they told me, we never ring anyone up, but we've seen what you're doing. We like it. We think you're fulfilling one of the sustainable development goals. Will you come out and speak to us? So I presented at the UN last year and, and they now officially recognize us. So we've we've gone from a side of the desk project to one which now has a full strategy. And uh, we launched that at the beginning of this year. The countries which I've said, UN recognized. We also had the Princess Anne speak at our conference last year, so recognized by royalty. And then one of the things that you and I spoke about when we were lucky enough to be together in London at the beginning oh, no. of the year, which feels One, like 100 years ago. Yeah, <laughs> I think that was before COVID. The, <laughs> yeah, I think that was probably the last time I went, to be honest with you. We spoke about a report and we were due to present at the World Meet Congress over the summer. And this was really from a challenge at the UN. They were saying, you know, other sectors know how many women are working within them. Then, you know, women in finance, women in automotive, whatever it may be, they know their data. What's your data? And you said to me, I vividly remember, you know, you need a burning platform. What's your Mm. data? And the meat industry didn't have it. We didn't know our data. So we commissioned a huge piece of primary research through an independent agency this year, which we published in October, which for the first time, the meat industry now knows how many women are working within it at various levels. So, for example, across the territories in which we operate, only 5% of CEOs in the meat industry are female, only 14% of board directors in the meat industry are female. So although, you know, some might perceive that as a group of women complaining there's not enough women within the meat industry, and we've had a bit of that, the report is also a really positive document talking about the enablers and barriers and also a proactive checklist about if you want to get more female talent into your business and into the sector as a whole, these are the things that you need to be doing. So we'll go back out and rerun that piece of research at a future date so we can see if we're shifting the dial. So yeah, I probably was crazy. And if you said to me, mm-hmm. it'll be six years in February, do you want to set up the professional networking group across the globe for women working in the meat industry? I would have probably said, oh, you're all right. I've got enough on my plate. But now, yeah, <laughs> it's probably a third of my week. And uh, we've got committees across the world in which we operate. And then uh, we've also got our first part-time employee working for us as well. And because we're launching a membership offer, women corporates will be able to join meat business women. So, yeah, it's been a journey. I know that's cheesy. It's a bit X X factor, but it truly has. And again, it's given me a a bigger network, a bigger community and a a huge global family, which I love. You know, the strategy is we've got to know our numbers. We we have to know our numbers. So so what are we dealing with? Where do we want to get to? And how do we do this together? And such an important part of, of building a global movement like you had. Sure, you started it off with a, hey, I just want to, hang out with some women in the industry so that we can, you know, have some camaraderie and, and, and support, but you very quickly realize, Hey, there's a gap here. And well, if no one else is going to step forward, I'm, I'm going to do something about closing that gap. So being in service to both the women in the industry, but the industry more broadly, because the industry itself, uh, as we know is, well, the meat industry gets a bad rap for a whole bunch of reasons. Number one, as you've said, your mates would say, oh, God, butchers and abattoirs, when, of course, you and I both know that there is so much more to the meat industry than that, and particularly around having a really the opportunity to have a terrific career. But the other side of it is all the, all the, you know, the trends that are happening, you know, veganism, particularly activism around veganism and the 
economic issues and, and challenges for farmers all around the world, et cetera. So being, you know, like your career, you fell into it, but it, it feels to me, Laura, that you have an ability to read the play, but also go, hmm, there's another way. There's another way of doing this. So, and I reckon I might be the one who can do that. So it, it, has anyone said that to you before? Because I, I just think you, you read the play, but you read the play like you're a good chess player. You can see three, four, five, six moves ahead. And, and that's that strategic intent, don't you think? That's an amazing compliment. Thank you. I um, Maybe, maybe subconsciously I'm reading the play. I'd love to think that. And I suppose in my consultancy work, I do, I, I, I try and do that. But for this, I'm just thinking, let's do this next. Let's just do this next. Mm. And then the snowball mm. just grew. But you're right now, there is a bit more space and, and thinking time that, yeah, read read the play. I really like that. And I suppose it's also a bit about, if you don't feel that you fit somewhere and you know there's other people probably in the same boat and to come together and have the power of the community and we've got over five and a half thousand followers now on LinkedIn and just that power of a community is just unbelievable that positivity that can energize you help you with business and just yeah give you a huge amount of rewards back to your original questions really about business strategy and finance can Mm -hmm. do all of that based on I I guess trying to attract and retain more female talent so yeah I like that read the play all right it's yours (laughs) that's my that's me being a sports nerd you know anything I can do to to wind a sports a bit of sports terminology into the uh, into the conversation hey we're almost out of time so secrets secrets and advice so if you were to think about the things that you learned by trial and error, and you've given us a, a couple of examples, and then how you would turn that into advice for words of wisdom that you can pass on to our listeners. Those, those women who are going, oh, I want to be like Laura. What do I need to do? So what are the, what are the secrets and the, and the advice that you'd share? I think the networking piece is really important. So, and I know I haven't made a secret of that, but yeah. investing in, in your network, in your personal board, I, I suppose knowing yourself as well and investing in that personal development to know yourself and to build on the areas of both strength and weakness. But I guess if you want to peel a, another layer from the union would be be brave. So for me, I have approached some real senior people in industry some time ago, actually. So more, some more luckily, but some, some a while ago, particularly in the early days of me becoming portfolio and said, I would like an hour of your time each month. Would you be able to give me an hour just to have a chat, to be an informal mentor? And these are people running huge PLCs and they've all said yes. So before you know it, you have a a formal network going of folks that are investing in you, are putting time into you. And then slowly other business leaders find out, oh, you have an hour a month with so-and-so, so-and-so. And And I say, oh, yes. Would you like, (laughs) it would be great to talk an hour a month. Oh, yes, that would be brilliant. And that's not, you know, trading state secrets or anything like that, but it's understanding and back to that being curious point what's working well in your business, what isn't working well. And then before you know it, you're talking about Meet Business Women, you're talking about Laven Park, you're talking about Global Meet Alliance. And more than anything else, you're keeping your network alive and your language alive of the of the industry. So 
I think being brave and pushing yourself out of your comfort zone. I, I'm, um, I guess, a terrible people pleaser and I've had to learn to say no. And again, that's come with personal development experience. So understanding yourself about are you a have you got the disease to please and being mm -hmm. honest with yourself and being brave and is that being brave going out and asking a ceo to invest in some time in you or is that being brave and saying no or is that being brave and saying yes but pushing yourself out your comfort zone every single week and i hate it i'm not great with it but i do it because if i don't i'm standing still uh, that, that is uh, very, very good advice to close on. And I'm going to pinch one back from you, the disease to please, because like you, over time, I've had to learn to learn to put boundaries in place, learn to say no. And also, I agree that pushing yourself into a less than comfortable zone. Uh, one thing I didn't do, as, as we were talking, was to congratulate you on being recognised by the United Nations, you know, through my relationship with organizations like yours and Global Women Fresh and some other networks that I've got also doing some work with the United Nations and boy, 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 that is good work, you know, um, to think about helping to close or meet the strategic goals or the strategic imperatives of the United Nations. How satisfying for you. That That's terrific, Laura. So today we've heard from you about how you fell into a career in the meat business or the meat industry You've talked to us about how much, how important it is to invest in self-development. You've told us that strategy is simple. I'm sorry for any of this, the strategy folks out there. <laughs> um, you, you've told us about you always invest time in yourself. You've developed a personal board of directors and you nurture your network. You make time, you invest time in building and nurturing your strategic networks, which are based on reciprocity and generosity. You're great at reading the play. You've asked us all to be brave and step up and ask for advice because, again, you're getting into that beautiful, generous and reciprocal relationships that build strategic networks, and you've told us to be on the lookout for the disease to please. Wowee. Uh, no wonder you're, you're going from strength to strength. I'm really... Well, I, I'm very grateful that I'm in your network and, and vice versa, and we get to do some stuff together. And I'm also really pleased and, and very, very thankful that you've spent some of that awesome time of yours that you're having an impact with to share your secrets and, and your career that soars with our listeners. So Laura Ryan, thank you for your time with us today. And we look forward to seeing bigger and better things from you, Meet Business Women and the Global Meet Alliance. Thank you so much. It's always a pleasure to talk to you and I always learn so much chatting to you. So thanks, Michelle. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Lead to Soar. We sincerely appreciate your honest, positive reviews. You can leave questions at leadtosoar.com for Michelle and Mel to answer on future episodes. Until next time, we hope you'll use what you've learned here and lead to soar.